Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Today, we are backstage at the Success Tour here in beautiful San Diego, and we have a very, very special guest joining us today. As you know, our goal is to only bring guests of people who've been there and done that as we explore the mindset, motivation, and methodologies of success. Well, today, we have a man who has not only been there and done that, he's there and that today. Darren Hardy is a New York Times bestselling author of three great books. The Compound Effect is one of my all-time favorites. So if you have not read The Compound Effect, I just think it's a game changer. I also love The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster. That's never a truer description of owning a business. Darren has just been a leader in the personal growth and success industry for more than 20 years. He's had three television networks that he's headed up. He was the publisher and editor of Success Magazine, which has a lineage of tremendously successful people who've headed up that organization. Highly sought-after keynote speaker, Darren has spoken at many of our events. He's also won the National Speakers Association Master of Influence Award, which is people like Jim Rohn and Augmentino, Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, Deepak Chopra, on and on. Tremendous uh, company to be in. Darren has a fantastic story. It's one of adversity and struggle that reinforces the idea that we're all capable of finding our own success when we find a way to turn our perceived weaknesses into strength. Darren, thank you for joining me today. Very appreciative for you to come and uh, be a part of our show. My pleasure. I'll have to play this for my wife <laughs> because I don't think she appreciates how awesome I am. That sounds so great. Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we will. Yeah. Well, hello to you. I know she's uh, listening in Miami. Yeah. So I love your story. I think it's very inspirational. You speak to some degree about it when you're on stage. But your parents divorced when you were 18 months old. And you were raised by your dad, who you compared to the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> so what was life like growing up in the Hardy household? When I was born, my dad was only 23 years mm. of age. And uh, he had just moved from the San Francisco Bay Area, where his whole family network was, to what seemed like the middle of nowhere, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, wow. That's where he took a job as an overworked, underpaid university football coach. So it was just he and I out there by ourselves with him trying to figure it out. And the mm. only way that he knew how to parent was how he coached football. Oh. So there was no whining, no crying, no excuses, lots of yelling and, and lots of cursing, which right. is where I think the analogy to uh, Sergeant Gunnery from Full Metal Jacket comes from. So it was like wow. growing up in, in his boot camp. Mm. And my dad, very alpha male, and I think that the reason why today I am such the high-functioning achiever is because I went through such a dysfunctional sort of upbringing. And right. The reason why my mother sort of kind of giving me up and not being involved, having to overcome those issues of abandonment is the reason why I'm so vigorously self-reliant. Mm. You know, the fact that my dad was so hardcore and kind of on my butt all the time is also the reason why I'm so motivated and aggressive and willing to do whatever it takes. That's amazing. And then the other part of it is in order to get any love or attention in our household, you had to achieve. Sure. But that's also the reason why I'm so ambitious and goal oriented. So there was obviously good things that came out of it, like all trials. Yeah. How did the Darren Hardy sitting in front of me, who's a pretty together renaissance man, I mean, you do have your stuff together, bro. I mean, you're an impressive man. You have a great career. You got high levels of emotional intelligence. You're able to connect with people. You're a sought-after consultant for high-end businesses. Where does this guy that's, you know, because many people go through the drill sergeant stuff. 
where did the journey begin for you where you started to develop these other parts of yourself and become the pursuer of success? It's because of those mm. issues. You know, a lot of people look at their background and childhood as wounds that they need to heal from. Right. Where I say your adversities are your advantages. Mm. And it is because of those difficulties. It's like working out a muscle, right? You know, the way you grow it is you, is you put it under incredible stress and right. strain. And while you are putting pressure on it, you're actually tearing the muscle fiber. Right. But then in rest and recovery, it grows back bigger than it was before. Right. And so through these trials and adversities, the muscles grew and grew and grew. And it's because of those issues, I think, that uh, I have the blessings that I have. But it's a matter of perspective. It's like Jim Rohn said, a lot of people look at their past as a, like a billy club that mm-hmm. just keep beating themselves over the right. head with, where, in fact, they are the training camp that you went through to develop the muscle strength to go out and do the extraordinary things that ordinary people who didn't have those good right. fortunes of adversities right. had for themselves. So I think the very fundamental of having to go through that and get that muscle development, and then secondly, the perspective of that being looked at as an advantage rather mm-hmm. than as a weakness. And then I, I will say that interceded in that journey at 18 years of age, I met a man in the lobby of a restaurant waiting for a table that I got fascinated by because he kind of epitomized what a successful person looks like. And he invited me to a seminar. Mm. I didn't know how to spell seminar at that point. Right. I wasn't in the realm of how I grew up. It was $2,500. And you I had were 18 to, years old. I had to borrow the money to go, but I was fascinated and wanted to probably please him like I always wanted to please my father. I went and it changed mm. the trajectory of my life from that point forward. It's a whole new world opened up to me of what was possible. What was uh, that seminar about? It was personal development, Mm -hmm. personal accountability. Like the core fundamental that I learned there was that we're 100% responsible for our lives under Mm -hmm. any circumstance in any scenario. And and while that sounds basic and fundamental, most people don't operate like that. Sure. See, I thought you had to come from the right parents. You had to go to the right schools. You had to come from the right neighborhood. You had to have the right connections. You had to have the right talents or skills or innate capabilities. But I learned at that seminar that none of that matters. Because there's an opposite example for every one of those sure. situations or seemingly constraints. And that to me was incredibly liberating. You mean that it doesn't matter what economy I'm in. It doesn't matter who's president. It doesn't matter what the weather is or where I live or right. what background or what skill or experience I have. I can still control my destiny. That set me free. Mm. And that ability to be responsible set me on a journey to seek the edge. One of the other advantages I would say Brian, is that I wasn't particularly talented or skilled at anything. Mm-hmm. What my dad did teach me was you could beat anybody at anything if you outwork them and you outlast them. So it's hard work and consistency. Mm. And that will make up the difference every time. Yo, you can't dribble very good with your left hand. Tie your right hand behind your back and, and dribble do it. for three hours with your left hand. You right. know, you, you're struggling in math and hire a great tutor and double down on it on Saturdays and Sundays. Right. There were no excuses for... See, for I, and I love the refreshing nature of this because on one hand, you like to say, you look at your dad's kind of an old school guy and he was a young old school guy trying to figure out what you do with a kid. You know, I'd imagine that was challenging. But you have the ability to bring an old school message in a new school way and I love that because, you know, the number one degree in America is psychology. Yeah. You know, people are very much into discovering themselves and obviously there's a place for psychology and obviously there's a place for psychoanalysis but there's an awful lot of navel gazing yeah and the number one advice many times is see you next week right so on one hand you're very in tune and aware of the challenges the difficulties whatever else but then it became okay i'm responsible yeah there's a freedom to that now let's go get it right 
And that's what I love. I love the compounding effect is a little bit of a no holes barred, very, very from the shoulder without ripping people up. You know, get after it. Here's what it looks like. There's no magic pill. The secret to success is there's no secret. Mm -hmm. That looks a lot like hard work and showing up every day. And I think that's a message that is chronically missing today. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit because I'm fascinated. I love people's stories and I love your message. So kind of fast forward a little bit. You're 18. You get going. What were the next few steps if you were to take some jumps? My dad, while I was growing up, was a realtor, oddly enough. And God help been us in the real estate business. Yeah. <laughs> and quite frankly, I never wanted to get in the real estate because he came home bitching about it every night. And I'm thinking, well, that sounds awful. Why would I want to do that? But he wanted to buy his real estate franchise and he needed to borrow some money. And I had at that point already had an entrepreneurial endeavor that I did well. I loaned him a hundred grand. Wow. And uh, that was shortly after Black Monday and you know the market went into the tank and he had this office of 44 agents that just went from hero to zero in a nanosecond. And wow. uh, I kind of got sucked in. It's a longer story there about you know an old 20 plus year veteran agent. My dad brought me in and talked to them on a Monday meeting because I, I had a sales and marketing business that I had built and had done well with. And, and she stood up and said, you don't know what the heck you're talking about, kid. You're just a snot-nosed kid. You could never do what we do here. And it's like, okay, let me show you. And I just went in and just attacked it like a savage beast. And, you know, in 90 days, I was out selling the entire office uh, with listings and escrows combined. But it wasn't difficult because nobody was doing <laughs> right. much of anything. Yeah. They'd grown up in the market where you just sat by the phone or you and sat they in the house. You. And any aunt, uncle, plumber, housewife was a realtor and right. but when you had to actually go out and get the business and proactively go and prospect and, and chase it it was easier for a non-experienced unskilled 20 year old right. at the time to do well i was blessed to have started in a terrible market right and, and you didn't know it was any better and that my real estate business was the same it was right after the gulf war and everybody's crying the blues Perfect. and i thought my gosh these people are willing to pay me this much for doing this work, this is the greatest thing yeah. of all time. I know. I mean, it cleaned out the market. And I think for a new agent, a bad market is the best possible time yeah. to start. It's harder. If anybody can fill in the blanks of a contract and you know, yeah. transactions are happening by themselves, it's harder to break into that right. network because you don't have the relationships. Turkey can fly in a hurricane, right? right. <laughs> exactly. So how long did you do that? I did that for four years. Okay. Uh, we were talking about it before. I wish I had found you. <laughs> when I was in real estate, I found yeah. another real estate sales trainer, and it was where it taught was a grind. Yeah. You didn't develop referral relationships. You just went out and, and hunted and turned and burned. And, and even when I was at the top of the market, by far, I just burned out. And yeah. I left the business. I started a sales and marketing company, and that's when I helped build a, a television network that uh, delivered the same content that you could see in a magazine like Success, but sure. uh, was done over satellite television at yeah, the time. Yeah, I remember that. That was awesome. And that was the beginning of the whole... I was a subscriber. Yeah. <laughs> that was the beginning 20 plus years ago of kind of being at the center of the personal development and human achievement right. industry. So how did Success Magazine come about? I was the president of another television network called TSTN, the Success Training Network. Okay. And a guy that I knew from the first television network wanted to buy Success Magazine wow. and had sort of a legal thing that I could step in and help. Sure. And then needed to go and put it back on the map. And I had always appreciated the legacy sure. and the heritage of Success Magazine. Uh, Augmentino and... Yeah, Napoleon. I sat oh, in the chair that Napoleon, Napoleon sat in for a decade. Wow. So we launched it again at the worst possible time. We bought it in 2007. Oh, we put geez. it back on newsstand March of 2008. The day the market died. The day the market died. And you have to remember at the time, that's when print was being deemed dead. Yeah. 
the ad page count had gone by 50%. When you take 50% of an entire market out, you've destroyed the market. Right. Condé Nast had just launched another competing publication, spending $120 million on it, and we had no marketing budget for it whatsoever. But we had the largest first issue magazine release in the history of publishing. Wow. Beat Oprah, beat Martha Stewart. And then over the next eight years, put it on the map. We reached 5 million people and circled around and interviewed everybody you could possibly think of and spent time in their homes and their corner offices. Well, if you look at the covers of Success Magazine, I mean, there basically isn't anybody of any kind of world-renowned that was not on the cover of that magazine. Right. You have met so many phenomenal people, and you've interviewed some of the most influential people of all time. And I'm just curious about this. I'm sitting here you know, chipping away on a podcast here these days, but what are the most common characteristics that struck you when you met these just uber successful people? The first is they are rabid learners. Mm. They're always seeking an advantage. Steve Jobs is walk around his office and just say, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. And it's like, would you stop saying that? He says, it's like a prayer. The more times you say it doesn't mean it's still not effective, right? That was the number one trait is they were always looking to get better and to seek the knowledge. That's why they would hire the best advisors, they'd hire the best consultants, Mm -hmm. they'd hire the best coaches because they wanted that edge. They knew that you don't have to be that smart or that skilled if you know how to go and get the right advice from people who spend their lives Mm -hmm. developing that particular area of expertise. And you've met hundreds of these people. Give me a few that stand out that were like, when you walked away, you went. I'm I'm sure you learned something from everyone. I learned from every interview I do. But give me a couple that were just almost life-changing. It was like, or they gave you an insight that, that made a difference for you. The best interviews I ever did are the ones that weren't necessarily publicized. I interviewed a centenarian who was a multi-billionaire. Wow. And he was not only very wealthy, immigrant, came here dirt poor, lived in the basement of another family's home. But he went on to not only become wealthy, but he was incredibly loved and well-respected, even by his competitors. And that experience with him was life-changing. Another one was a 94-year-old multi-billionaire who I had a chance encounter with what ended up being on his yacht, but he had stormed Normandy and got this incredible story. But the ones that people would have heard, the number one that comes to mind is Louis Zamperini, who I met at 94 years of age, the subject of Laura Hillebrand's book, Unbroken, as well as the movie by Angelina Jolie. But, you know, just the life force in that man at Mm. 94 years of age, what he'd went through, what he had suffered through, and still the the attitude and the fire in his eyes. The question I asked him at the end was, okay, if you are knee to knee with a young person these days and they're feeling like giving up on themselves or feeling like they, you know, they're not good enough and they're, they're ready to quit, what would you say to them to get them to keep going? And he says, I don't understand. What do you mean they would quit? Don't they have any self-respect? Like it wasn't even in the realm of his wow. consciousness. Like yeah. he didn't even understand yeah. the idea that somebody would give up or that they would right. quit. And yeah. it was just like you got a chance to peer into the mindset and the philosophical foundation of what made this man so and I had a chance to meet him and his son actually brought him in to meet some of my staff and with that tremendous laser like focus there was also a sweetness a spirit to the guy you know he would light up a room an amazing character yeah no wonder it was such a good movie yeah and just a tremendous human being and then of course my mentors Jim Rohn and and, and Paul J. Meyer which is that Mm. same core life force about who they are and yeah and then more recently the CEO of SAP Bill McDermott okay an amazing human being you know it's like one of those people you're like i hadn't come and speak to our elite group and that's the kind of guy you want as president of the united states there's Mm. just a 
spiritualness that's grounded in, and he's charismatic in a way that is uplifting and mm. and positive. But all the other characters too are are fantastic in their way. Sure. They're the ones that everybody knows, and the Bransons and the Jobs and the Musks and all the rest of that. But those are the ones that people might be more familiar with. Well, the ones also, that really transform yeah. me. And the sometimes ones you have a conversation with somebody, and it's what you need to hear at that time. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's just it lights you up, and you never quite know what somebody's getting from what you're doing. I'm going to kind of tweak you around here a little bit. You have done not only these great interviews, you're a great interviewer. I think it's a phenomenal skill. I don't think you have to be a radio TV star. I don't think you have to have Success Magazine. I think interviewing skills is one of the greatest ways to build connection, mm -hmm. relationship, sales, the whole deal. What is the key to being able to connect with somebody like that and, and to get somebody to, to give a little of themselves creating a safe environment for them to do so. Every skill I have, I had to work at developing. Mm. And so I worked at this. I mean, I've interviewed people for 20 plus years mm. with the three television networks in the magazine. And so I studied Oprah and Larry King mm -hmm. and Diane Sawyer mm -hmm. and Barbara Walters to understand the craft of really getting somebody to open up. And so there's three things that I would say that I kind of use as my cornerstone. The first one is go first, which means the best interviews are the ones where you're they're not just telling you what they know. They're showing you who they are. Mm. They're uh, revealing a piece of their humanness, not just their intellect or a description of their resume, but you get to peer into who they are as a, as a human. Mm. And in order to open somebody up and put them in a place to be vulnerable, you have to go first. And it could be simple, it just some foible, like the mistake you made this morning right. with your wife where you spilled coffee on your way or you put on a brown shoe and a black shoe. Just some, some vulnerability that you expose to them before you start the interview. Nice. And it opens them up. They feel safe. They feel like they want to reciprocate. You're not the perfect performer. Right. So they don't have to be the And everybody's right. human, right? And, yeah. So yeah. if you want to open them up, though, you don't right. ask intimate questions right. to try to draw out their vulnerability. You be vulnerable. Mm first. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to be really well prepared. Most people, it's easy to look up your bio on Wikipedia or their right. website and ask you the surface questions, mm -hmm. but it's the deeper, like, have you read all their material? Have you watched their videos? And what question can you ask that shows a depth of not what just is on the surface, but so that you indicate to them, this person really has done their homework. They know me maybe better than my own family does because most of your family doesn't know most right. of what you do. Yeah. And that shows a level of respect and you're able to go places that they're not used to. It's not their canned responses right. because they're doing a hundred of these interviews and they're giving the same answers to every one of them. Mm -hmm. But if you ask a deeper question, they've got to go to something that's unrehearsed and that's right. when you open them up further. And then the third thing I would say is personalize it. Meaning Instead of just teeing them up so that they can give their shtick, which a lot of interviewers do, sure. make it more of a dialogue. People are far more interested in not hearing a monologue, but feeling like they're listening into a dialogue. Right. So you approach the question and say, hey, I'm, you know, I've really been struggling with this issue myself, and I know that you're really great at it and have studied or you're expert in this. What would you say to this problem? So now they're actually addressing you, the human being, with a piece of advice rather than giving their shtick right. to a faceless, nebulous audience out there. And so they talk differently, they express themselves differently, and you get a much richer piece of content because you're getting their human answer, not their And I find people, answer. if the environment's right, people do want to open up. And oftentimes, somebody's telling their story, it's a totally human experience. Yeah. And if they know you're not trying to exploit them. Yeah. 
You know, the great example in my life was Neil Armstrong, where, you know, this is a guy who's had his barber sell his hair clippings. Yeah. When they came back from the moon, every politician who wanted something done trot out the astronauts, trot out the astronauts. People can't say nothing. Right. And they were exploited. And this went on for three years. And, and Neil Armstrong was a phenomenal pilot, and he had the PR skills of a stone. Oh, yeah, for sure. He just wasn't. It wasn't him. I mean, he was the guy you wanted. He... You know, he had somewhere around six to nine seconds worth of gas left when they landed on the moon. Yeah. And he was cool as a breeze. And so I really felt he had a message that was timely for our audience. And I pursued him and wrote notes and was was gracious with it and so on and so forth. And finally, we get an arranged on a phone call. And it was the most brutal interaction I've ever had. I would talk to him and I'd say, and I'm doing some preparation for what we're going to do on stage. We're going to do a live interview, 5,000 people in an auditorium in Vegas. And I would say, so, Mr. Armstrong, and I'm giving him sample questions. It's silence. Mm -hmm. And about the third time in, I, I went, over? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be the worst thing ever. So I said to him, hey, when you come to town, I'd love to have lunch with you. I'd love to have lunch with my family and, you know, connect with you a little bit. So he came in. We have lunch together with the family. My mother and father were in from Ireland. All my brothers were there. And it was the most awkward lunch of all time. Hmm. So finally, my dad is a very quiet guy, and we're going around, and Irish people aren't good with silence. Right. <laughs> so my brother Dharma goes, you know, Mr. Armstrong, when you were on the moon, I wasn't even on this planet. And he goes, oh, okay. You know, it's just back yeah. to crickets. And my father, who never says anything, goes, ah, Dharma, because of looking at that moon, that's why you're on this planet. <laughs> okay? Neil Armstrong almost spits up his lunch laughing. Next thing you know, he's talking about golfing in Ireland. Whatever else. And then he says to me, would it be okay if I came backstage and watched your next couple of sections? He watches the section. We talk for a half hour between the break. Just about life. Another section, same thing. And we start getting into this real fun stuff. And by the end of it, I said, hey, can we scrap what we were going to do? Can we just talk about what we were talking about backstage? And he loved it. Mm -hmm. And we got this interview that was like, they were actually going to have a display of it at NASA down in, in Florida. And the next day I saw him at Wolf Blitzer and he gave him nothing. Yeah. Because he needed to feel safe yeah, exactly. and connect and interact. So and I would just say to translate this to realtors, what I talked about in terms of interviewing personalities, the same yeah. thing somebody goes on a listing appointment, it's same exact. It's number one, expose your humanness first mm -hmm. because you're going to ask them all sorts of sensitive information right. that it's, you know, very revealing. And so right. show your foibles first, mm -hmm. you know, and that will open them up to feel safe and then be prepared. Like, mm -hmm. have you looked them up on Facebook? Have you seen what their kids are like and what they're into? And, you know, can you draw on something specific that shows that you've done your homework? And then, and then the third is, is have a real human conversation. Don't just go in there like some sort of robot. You mm. said it on stage. Don't do this as a robot. Do right. this as a, as a human being. So it's all, when you're dealing with human communication, it's all the same. It might be different platforms, but it's, it's all the same. Well, I've principles. watched a lot of your video clips and interviews you've done myself. The other thing I would add, what I've observed of you, is you know that whole desire to learn and grow. You have a natural curiosity about you. Mm -hmm. And I think when people know that you have a natural curiosity and you're a learner, a seeker yourself, I think it draws that out in people. And yeah. I, I think, you know... Yeah, I came here early just so that I could sit sure. through your session. I got three pages of notes. <laughs> I got some things that are going to become great Darren Daly's and the rest. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Appreciate that's fantastic. Darren Daly, I'll talk about it before we leave, but that is a neat resource 
for folks to check out for free and just that's your way of giving back yeah. and exposing you know great input and inspirational and challenging thought challenging insights uh, so anyone's interested in that i definitely encourage them to go to darren daly okay i have a few things i like to do in the podcast that kind of like a little rapid fire session sure and it kind of gives it a little different flavor yeah. it gives a little insight and um Again, you know, just getting to know you a little bit better. It's been it's such a cool deal. Um, but what's the single best piece of advice you've ever received? Brian Tracy, I'm 18, and he said, take 10% of every dollar you make from this point forward and mm. tithe it mm. to help other people. Wow. Ancient tradition, right? Yeah. But he said, now take another 10 cents out of every dollar from this point forward and tithe it to yourself. Mm. Reinvest it in your personal development. Mm. So I have one semester of college to my credit. Academically, I'm a dwarf, but because I've spent 10% of my income year after year after year on my personal development, I'm probably the most educated, you know, it's been a, my business sure. profession for 20 plus years as well. But that's given me massive advantage. Sure. Um, Anything I've ever done, I've never done before, but I can quickly study and learn it because I'll make that investment in my personal growth and development, and I'll do what my dad said. I'll outwork you, I'll outlast you, and I'll out-educate you. Mm. I'll go get more training, growth, right. advisors, and coaches than you will. What did Ron say? Formal education can make you a living, and a self-education can make, make you a fortune. fortune. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. All right. What's the one talent or gift you wish you possessed that you currently don't? wish I had a talent. Okay. Come Any on of them now. would be fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, I wish I could sing, dance, and play a musical instrument, right. or I wish I were great at any sport whatsoever i mean i was good at all of it but i was yeah. never great at any of it yeah uh, you're a good athlete though i worked at every one of them sure there's no natural innate and i could show up and just do without yeah. grinding practice but and, it's who you are right right it's who you are i mean the essence of who you are it's why the compound effect is so powerful right right, right. it's funny i would say because we've done for the magazine and for the podcast the number one feedback for most like hugely successful people a lot of them is I wish I could play an instrument or sing. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting dynamic. Okay, what one book has been most instrumental in your life? Atlas Shrugged. Okay. Yeah, Ayn and uh, and then, you know, after that, The Fountainhead, and then most things that Ayn Rand talked about. The reason was is that I thought I was weird. I thought I was out there, and I thought there was something wrong with me, and mm -hmm. it wasn't until I read that book, it was like, oh, other people think like that and see the world like I do. I felt... For the first time, I wasn't lonely mm. yeah. in the way that I thought and yeah. saw the world that maybe it's not a bad thing. What I was thinking and, and feeling that maybe it's a, it's, it's a good thing. So yeah. that, that was the reason. Again, it's, I remember listening. That ambition's a healthy thing. Yeah. Drive and success and achievement. Right, and individualism and, and yes, society and around you can have different ideas and make you feel inferior even though you're actually probably doing some good and doing some things in a superior way. So it was helpful at an important time in my life, yeah. Neat. Neat stuff. Okay. Favorite song or group or band or just you're in your car by yourself and you just you just want to get somewhere. What's a couple of tunes or an artist that'll do it for you? I love movie music. Okay. Epic sweeping inspirational uh, symphonic stuff? movie music. So I love most anything by Hans Zimmer. Okay. Yeah, who did Gladiator. Oh, and yeah. The Last Samurai and the Batman. And so you I, are your dad's boy, you know. Yeah. You yeah. are your dad's boy. You're, the, you're still the coach's son. Yeah, so I like that. And then my dad's hero, one of his heroes, was John Coltrane. Oh, wow. So John Coltrane, Miles Davis. Wow. But I like non-lyrical music because I really 
am processing things in my mind a lot, and lyrics can actually seemingly get in the way of great thinking. Yeah. No, I'm so with you. I mean, we have a lot of stuff in common. I mean, obviously, (laughs) I'm the similar path in a lot of ways. I love instrumentals, and I love movie scores. You know, I listen to the... Miracle on Ice, you yeah. know, that, that movie, Miracle, yeah. and they have these, and I just listen to it over and over and over again. The kids drives them nuts, so yeah. got to kind of do it by myself. So love that. Okay, what movie do you watch over and over? Oddly, uh, I love movies. It's one of my two respites where I can kind of take my brain off the grid and mm-hmm. fall into a great epic or story or narrative. But I don't like seeing something twice. Like okay. It feels like Groundhog's Day. Yep. I've done this. Okay. Like I, what's next? You know, yeah. it's, it's almost like going back and shining your trophies right i already did that <laughs> okay that, that's already on the list but the one movie that i will watch if i come across it is gladiator and i'm mm. i don't like the violence and all the rest of that but what i like is i'm a big believer in or let's just say i'm inspired by joseph campbell's idea of the hero's yeah. journey that we're yeah. here on a hero's journey and and that movie is a great depiction of a man who is taking his heroic journey from one end to the other and right. and then the battles that he faces then while you might not be a gladiator in a ring, in life, you are going through this sweeping epic. You know, that you came in naked, scared, and ignorant, and you're going to end up on the other end of it. And right. between that, you're going to fight some demons, you're going to stare some enemies, you're going to have some falls, you're going to have some victories, and you're going to go through this heroic journey. And yeah. so I, for that, I love that movie, and I love the music in it, and I, yeah. I just love the... Yeah, the music does make a big difference, oh, doesn't it? It's amazing. No, yeah. that's some great stuff. Well, we could do a lot of this, and uh, I want to be respectful of you because you're about to go and bless an audience uh, right here in San Diego and a, and a bunch of folks watching remotely, and we're so appreciative of our relationship and so appreciative of what you do. I love your message, and I love what you stand for, and I love the fact that you're a man who's made this life for yourself, and you weren't born into it, you weren't silver-spooned it, it wasn't laid out for you, and you've... You got your stuff together, brother, and we're just proud to know you. The main thing is it's inspiring for the people who are listening. We got folks from all over, many, many walks of life listening to this podcast. You know, there's a lot of folks going through it, but I love the fact that, you know, you're saying the very challenge you have is actually your advantage. Yeah. No excuses. Take responsibility. You know, become a seeker. People have lived before us Mm -hmm. and walk in their footsteps, and they're willing to talk to us. Their books are there. The programs are there. It's all out there available to you. You can, you can get a library card as a start. You can. All these podcasts are free. There's all this information out there today. And if you really want it, you can have it. Yeah. And, you know, you're living this fantastic bi-coastal life. You've got this great thing going on. You've got this great message. And we're just very, very appreciative. I love the book, The Compound Effect. I hope everybody listening will get a copy of that. And I encourage you to join Darren on his uh, Darren Daily. Go to yeah. DarrenDaily.com. I get it myself. I, I looked at it this morning before I came down to speak to the audience. So, so thankful for our time together. I know this has been short and sweet, but really appreciate the time and bless you for doing it. And uh, as I finish up today, as I always do, I hope you enjoyed it, our interview. Love to get your feedback. Send us a review. If you want to hear more from Darren or other folks like that, there's not too many Darrens out there, but let us know what you think. And I'll leave you with our little blessing as we get Darren ready to go on stage. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>